Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Barry Watts here with the truth about taxes and retirement brought to you by the Wealthcare Corporation. If retirement matters to you and you hate taxes, then you're in the right place. Go to www.savingyoutaxes.com and there you'll find resources and information about how the Wealthcare Corporation helps people like you. Now, in today's episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, our topic is the recent election and the impact it's going to have on business owners, retirees, and taxpayers. I've called this episode, What the Recent Election Means for Your Pocketbook. I have a colleague in the financial industry who served in the Bush administration. In fact, she was Ari Fleischer's assistant. If you remember, he was Bush's spokesman. And then she went to to work outside the White House. She went over to the Capitol, to the Hill, and she went to work for the Speaker of the House, a guy named Dennis Hastert. And she was there for a little while, wound up working for one of the committees in the writing of policies. And we had a conversation a few weeks ago that was really the fodder for today's podcast and some observations about what the recent election means for our clients and the people who listen to our podcast, those folks who own businesses, who are ready to retire, and who are on the wrong end of tax paying. But in today's broadcast, we've got something kind of special going on, because not only do we have some opinion from me, but we also have a special guest Congressman-elect Eric Burleson from the Missouri 7th District is here in the studio today. Eric, welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. It is great to be back. Well, you've been gone a long time. You used to co-host this show, and then you went and ran for Congress, and that apparently takes a lot of time, and you weren't here forever. Yeah, it is not for the faint of heart. It does take up a lot of your time. Well, congratulations on an astounding election win. What percentage of the vote did you get in the general election? 71. 71%. I don't think that happens in very many places. No, this is a this is God's country. And I notice how you knew the percentage too cold. You didn't have yeah. to stop and do the math on that. <laughs> Yeah. So congratulations, even despite a couple of million dollars of dark money that came against you yes, uh, in sadly. the primary, you still won the election. Yeah, sadly, I wish we could do something about that, but I don't know if you'll ever be able to fix that. Well, I think there are a lot of things that we're not going to be able to fix. And that really is kind of our topic for today is the things that we can't fix and some solutions for how we sidestep the things that we can't fix. So we had an election back in November. And that election came out a little differently than we expected. Everybody thought there was going to be this red wave and Republicans were going to own the day and control both houses of Congress. And Republicans barely, just barely are controlling the House of Representatives where you will be taking your seat. And they are definitely not in charge over on the Senate side. Right. They did. We did not pick up the Senate. It was not a red wave. I really think that, and there's a whole, I could do another podcast as to why I think it wasn't a red wave, but at the end of the day, we have a very slim majority, but at least we have a majority. Uh, we've taken over the majority in the house, which means there'll be a divided government. 
Exactly. Which is good for markets. Uh, it tends to be good for markets because intuitively, we kind of think divided government's not a good idea. And I think for the country and where it goes, it's not a good idea necessarily. But when you think about predictability, and that's what the market's like is predictability. A divided government is a government that can't do anything because it's fighting against itself. And that means they don't pass a lot of legislation. I, I said, they, I guess you're now they, aren't you? Oh God. So, <laughs> so, so I guess, I guess you now can't get a lot done. And right. for those of us who are in the economy side of things, that's really a good thing. Exactly. So yep. that's a function of divided government. You know, it occurred to me as I was thinking about this podcast, the old phrase that we've heard, and we heard it used a lot a few years ago, elections have consequences. They really do. And what happened in November has significant consequences for people who are on the wrong end of the tax paying stick. And so that's what we're going to talk about in today's podcast. And we're going to get a little special color from you on what you've already observed, though you're not not seated in the Congress yet. You've spent a couple of weeks up there learning the ropes in training, so to speak. And you've already come home and told me some interesting stories. Maybe those will be safe enough for you to share on the podcast. I don't know. So let's talk about this divided government and what it means in terms of taxes and the economy. I think the first thing it means is that there's just going to be a tremendous lot of volatility. There's going to be a lot of energy, a lot of like a lot of rhetoric, a lot of fighting. Well, isn't there always a lot of rhetoric? Is but, that what you guys major in? But I think that to your point, as you said earlier, there's not going to be as much outcome. Well, uh, and in, in one way or another which is, I think, again, a good thing. And at the same time, the boat could easily shift left or shift right because it only takes a few votes in the Congress. Only a few people have to defect from the party line to move things one way or another. It only takes a few of you to be the Joe Mansions of the world, yeah. for lack of better words, to produce now, a different outcome. Now, that would be that would normally be the case. However, this Congress and the dynamic that's happening with the new incoming potential speaker, as you've seen in the news, McCarthy, while he may have won the conference vote, he does not have, he did not get enough votes to win to get to 218, which is what's necessary on January 3rd in order for him to be speaker. So by the time people listen to this podcast, that vote will probably already be in, I'm going to guess. But we're going to put you on the hook just for fun right now. Do you think McCarthy will win the speaker's seat? My guess is yes, probably 70% chance yes. Well, that's probably the safest route for Republicans. I'm not sure safest is best. Right. And at the end of the day, what I wanted to come back to is that what's unique about this situation is that when you have such a very slim majority and the speaker needs everybody's vote in order to become speaker, he's willing to give up a lot of rule changes and a lot of power back to individual members of his own party and away from centralized leadership. And what the outcome of that is going to be is like, for example, number one is that they've already agreed to is basically the Hassert rule, which means that Leadership will not bring forth any bill that does not have the majority of the majority votes. So you can't have bills that where the Democrats support and they peel off 10 votes from the Republicans in order to get it passed. That is by the rules of the conference already agreed to. It will not happen. 
So the rule is unless in the House we have a majority of Republicans. So unless the majority of Republicans are in favor of that, it will not be brought forward. It couldn't be passed in a compromise between some Republicans and some Democrats. That's right. And you, you commented that was the Hastert rule. Danny Hastert, before yes. he got in trouble and went to prison, was the was the Speaker of the House at one point, a congressman from Illinois. Now, was that only a rule when he was in the speakership or has that been a rule throughout the history of the Congress? No, I think he established that rule and in, in because in recent memory people refer to it that's what everyone commonly calls that rule is the Hassert rule hmm. well when you think about this idea that we have almost a 50 50 congress and a what is it, a 51 49 senate now uh technically 52 if you count kamala but i guess she's no longer necessary since the republicans are actually or democrats are actually in control in the senate right they are so when you think about this 50 50 split that we've almost got going on here and how easy it is for one or two defections to shift the balance of power either toward the left Democrat philosophy to the right Republican philosophy. What that means and what we saw in the election, the way the votes came in, is that there's not strong agreement on the path forward for the country. There are two very diverse and almost equally popular and supported views about what the country looks like going forward. Right. It is very divided. Well, this is really surprising to me. And here's why I'm surprised about it. We currently have the highest inflation that we've had in 40 years. A significant percentage of our voters aren't even 40 years old yet. This is the highest inflation of their lifetime. We're currently seeing interest rates increasing, and we're due to have another increase in interest rates come out this week, trying to control that high inflation. And we'll see whether or not that works and how much it takes to make it work. But if they go too far in raising interest rates, and we, people say this is going to happen, I would submit it's already happened, we're then staring down a recession. So those are all kind of big things for the country, big things for the economy. And it's surprising to me that in light of all of that difficulty that we're facing, that we didn't get a stronger verdict uh, one way or another, that we still have this 50-50 thinking in the country. You have thoughts about that? I have a lot of thoughts about that, but that's just where the country is. Yeah, it's not where your district is. They were 71% Burleson. Right. Yeah, they, they are. And But I think that people have a different attitude about what the role of government is, mm -hmm. right? So some people believe that government is to be their end-all, be-all, provide for everybody and everything. You look at today, it's been announced that they're trying to, for example, fix the Teamsters retirement system. Their pension system has been a mess. They completely messed it up. And now they're looking, for example, to spend taxpayer dollars, your taxpayer dollars, to fix that system. And, uh, and you, the rest of us who are not members of the Teamsters, are going to end up paying. It's going to amount to about $100,000 injection for every member, for every Teamster member is what Joe Biden And that's had. going to be federal money that's if going federal in. Federal dollars that going into basically padding someone else's pension because they weren't managing <laughs> it properly. Well, the first question is, why is the Teamsters pension in trouble? And just to be candid, I know nothing about the Teamsters pension in a personal sort of way. I'm not involved. But my suspicion is there are a lot of people at the top been scraping off the oh, top yeah. of that pension fund forever. And all you have to do is do a Google search for, for fraud and abuse and waste in the Teamsters pension system. And if you dig deep enough, you'll come up with Jimmy Hoffa. Right. But that's another story. I digress. But but the whole point I'm trying to make is that is that there is a an attitude right now that government's role is to pay 
for all the mistakes that everyone makes in life. And that's what some people believe that government's role is. And then you've got people who, and then you have, sadly, you have Republicans who want to spend money and on who want to, whenever they get a chance, they want to spend it on the things that they want to spend money on. Well, so my philosophy, and I believe you share this, is that if the teamsters have a problem, too bad they have a problem, they should fix their problem. They should fix their problem. And by the way, if I have a problem at my house, I should fix my problem and not depend on government to do that. Government is not there to right rob, every wrong. Rob from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. So this is a that's a philosophy of conservative government, it's something you and I both uh, ascribe to. And that's not necessarily what's going on, though, with your peers. You told me a story last week that was a little bit disappointing as you guys were organizing. Yeah. Share that with us. You run for office and you say, let's let's rein in bloated spending. Let's try to get to a balanced budget. And I think that we can do that. In fact, there is a brilliant um, thinker that has put out a proposed budget. His name is Vaught. And and he has proposed, he's released it, a way that we can get to a balanced budget without making very draconian cuts over the next 10 years. And those that kind of suggestion is laughed at in D.C. I, I was, Why? Because it's just, it's a different mindset, right? At the, some lawmakers that I, when I was up there, I realized that their lawmakers from all stripes and all over the United States, and they represent their community. And for some reason, there's some communities that like for their lawmakers to spend money. They like it when their lawmaker brings back pork earmarks into their district, whether it's a library or a new theater, like a you know performance hall, whatever it's going to be. There's, I believe that there's an appropriate thing that we should be spending money on. We, the federal government should certainly be spending money on the military, you know, infrastructure, things it's responsible for. But there's a lot of things that we've spent money on that that is not a responsibility of the federal government. And this kind of drunkenness and everyone being at the trough is the reason why we are almost $32 trillion in debt. Now, you said everyone being at the trough, but wait a minute. I thought that Republicans were not at the trough and that Republicans were not in favor of earmarks and pork barrel spending. That's what their campaign rhetoric says. And I am one. Right. So so help me understand what the truth about my brethren is. Sadly, the Republican Party embraced a ban on earmarks, and that is not the that is not what they embrace today. And the and the the argument that they make, which I think is a valid argument, and let me before I get anything thrown at me, let me just because it matters now because people yes. are really listening to what you say. So I think that what happened is when they said we're not going to earmark what we're what Congress is basically saying is we're going to turn over the appropriation decisions to the executive branch and let all the bureaucrats and the president decide well, where the money idea. will be spent. Isn't that a bad idea? It is a bad idea. So so I think what the public when when the public sees earmarks, and this is what I the way I view earmarks is that if you're within the budget, if you're if the budget is balanced, I don't think the taxpayers are concerned that you are de deciding where it should be spent as lawmakers, right? If you if I think in this community that expanding Highway 59 you know, between Joplin and uh, Neosho is the top priority. That's, I was represent, I was elected. That's my, that's, 
right? That's what, where I know the money should be spent. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody has any problems with that kind of attitude. Where the pub, where the problem is, is that we then have a budget that we are going to spend anyway, and then people add on top of that their earmarks. So it becomes icing on the cake, cake, and it's just more below. So I need an extra debt. five million for the performance theater in my That's community. That's right, and I think the fact that there's no discretion, there's no. No one is minding the farm and everyone is just spending, spending, spending. It makes it completely irresponsible for you to ask for a new library in your district when we all know that that's all on debt. So you're saying we have a budget, but we're choosing to do this outside the budget or an add on to the budget. Oh, at, right now we're not within, well, we, there is no budget. Yeah, there really isn't a budget. We're just making that stuff up. Right. So, and, and and the Republicans, your conference, as you guys were getting organized, where did the Republicans come in on earmarks? Were they in favor There's of earmarks? No, there has not been, they just, there was no vote to ban earmarks. Okay. So the, we the didn't. Vote, the vote occurred and they decided to continue with earmarks. We're going to allow earmarks. So the yes. party that's there to stop the forward progress of the Biden spending said, but wait, I still want five million or ten million for this project in my own district. Right now, this is where things are going to get really interesting, and this is where things may this. So there is a group I might or might not be a part of them <laughs> <laughs> that's called the House Conservative Freedom Caucus. Yes. So I'm new. I'm not a member of any caucus at this point, but these are kind of my kind of people. These yeah. are the true fiscal conservatives. Sure. And the ones that are there today have made it clear to leadership that because we have such a slim majority, nothing is going to move forward without their approval. And because of that, they are setting the table to say, we know you guys said that you want earmarks, but we're going to stop anything that's earmarked. So the slim majority that the Republicans have in the House could actually work to the benefit of the taxpayers yes. because instead of allowing Republicans to gorge at the trough, just like Democrats gorge at the trough, you could wind up forcing your people back to that's say, right. no, we're not going to allow earmarks. Right. That's, so that's kind you, of the plan if you can get that pulled off. Yeah, because you literally have a scenario where there are, you could have a bill that's that, that's going through that the majority of the Republican Party fairly agrees with, but you've got four or five members, they could hold up a bill. Hmm. You know, Eric, one of the things that I think this divided government, the 50-50 breakdown between Republicans and Democrats is going to do is I think it's going to give us surprisingly unpredictable legislation because different groups can become power brokers very easily when yeah. you're at a 50-50 environment. And so since nobody has a man, surprising things that you've not dreamed of could crop up because somebody thinks it's a good idea and they don't have to get too many other people to go with them. And this new heretical legislation flies up. What do you do to protect that kind of stuff? Well, I would get myself out of the pool of people that have to pay taxes. Oh. That would be the best. Try to get out of the... <laughs> way of the freight train that is basically well that is so i was asking what you would do in congress you're saying what you would do out here in the that's right. the, the hinterlands and so i appreciate you're keeping the focus on the folks who listen to our podcast because the fact is in this recent election we had no repudiation of the tax and spend philosophy of the democrat party and you're almost telling me that inside the republican caucus there's really not a lot of appetite to repudiate that either, at least with regard to the earmarks, the special projects for my district. 
which, by the way, is the exact opposite of what you hear when these guys get on Fox News and trumpet their opinions. I just noticed that because I heard one of your colleagues, a friend of yours, in fact, from not very far from here, was on Fox this morning talking about that very thing. So in this election, it was the first time in a long time that the American voters could say, stop. This was the election where it could happen. It was a chance for voters to say, we're not going to spend like drunken sailors anymore. What Reagan say? That's an insult to drunken sailors. Right. It was a chance to say, we're not going to print money like this anymore. We're not going to destroy our future by writing checks based on mortgaged money that will require huge tax increases to pay them off. That was the opportunity, and it didn't happen. So I think as a result of that, the big spenders of both parties, we might say that it's Democrats, and I think in a public way it kind of is because that's been who's been driving the bus. But let's face it, Republicans are just as bad in perhaps more subtle ways. I think the result is that the big spenders are going to be emboldened, and we're going to see ongoing spending at atrocious levels and nobody cares well even if spending discretionary spending does not go up the amount of money the federal government is going to be spending just to pay back debt is going to triple and that's driven by and it's driven by interest rates interest rates going up and so what is today a 300 billion dollar note annually to the federal government is going to end up being nearly a trillion dollars a year just to pay the interest on the debt that the federal government has. So the government has an interest in holding an interest in holding interest rates artificially low oh, to protect itself. Yes. Yeah. See, so, so we're in a really tight pickle here yeah, as a nation. This is going to cause taxes to go higher, which is why we have to encourage the folks who listen to the podcast to position themselves in tax-free ways and places to take their investment assets and begin moving those assets to places where they won't have to pay taxes on them in the future. Because we're in an era of long-term rising tax rates. And, you know, we're going to see taxes on IRA accounts and 401k accounts. They're already being attacked in the Build Back Better bills. I know you weren't in the Congress at that time, but some of the Build Back Better bills had limitations on, for example, how much your IRA would be allowed to grow. And if your IRA grew more than a certain amount, they might just confiscate any excess growth beyond that. It had limitations on the amount of Roth conversion that could be made or who could convert there. The idea being that we don't want you to get in a tax-free position. So here's a little tip for you. This is a tip from Uncle Barry, okay? Anytime the government doesn't want you to do something, it's probably a pretty good idea to do it. Because if they're trying to take it away from you, that's probably a signal and a sign that it's a good thing. And anytime the government thinks you're getting too much of a good thing, they try to take it away. Yep, eventually. <laughs> so, well, it's like this Build Back Better idea, what they're going to do to IRAs and limiting Roth conversions and so forth. That stuff didn't get passed this time. But there's an old saying in Congress. You may not know this. I know it because I'm an old gray-haired guy, though I haven't been to Congress more than walking through a couple of times. But it says that tax proposals never die. They just go yeah. on the shelf for future use. Yeah, because once it becomes in people's brain, once it gets there, then it becomes a topic of dialogue. And it's hard to get those topics to be shelled forever. So there's a third thing I think that's really going to be an issue here, and it has to do with executive orders. I think President Biden, by the election and the fact that it's a 50-50 vote, I think he's going to be emboldened 
to use executive orders even more than he has up to now. You know, to a great degree, that's how Obama created Obamacare. And it's not just the Democrats. The Republicans have been just as guilty. No one ever drew a line on these executive orders and said, hey, you can't do that. And the simple fact is, if you read the Constitution, I'm pretty sure it more or less says, hey, you can't do that. But now the president just essentially writes a check. Address that. Speak to that topic for us, if you would, Congressman. Well, I mean, yeah, the sad part is that Congress has given up every time they pass a bill, they put into it that says that the agency shall have the authority to write X, Y, Z rules. And every time they do that, they're giving, they're basically giving over all of their regulatory power and agency to the federal, to the executive branch. So to be, to understand that simply, you're saying that a bill gets passed that says we're going to spend a billion dollars on, well, a billion, that wouldn't be a big enough bill. Yeah. And that's uh, why 50 billion. And that's why when Pelosi famously said, we have to pass the bill to know what's in it. What she was basically saying is that recognizing is that a significant portion of the details of the bill are turned over to to the executive branch. So you pass the bill, you fund the bill, but the details of what really happens to implement the bill is turned over to the executive branch. So the Congress has abdicated its role. That's right. Again. What? Well, why don't you fix this, Eric? I'm going to try. Okay. Well, we're counting on you. We want that fixed because I think you guys could do, should do your job and control the purse strings. Agree. And that's not the role of the president. And that's not a political state. Well, it is a political statement. It's not a Democrat Republican statement. Yeah, no, the debt, it's just a, how it should be. The debt and the situation the United States is in is not Republican. It's not Democrat. It's just math. It is just math. Biden has said that the election actually proves support for his agenda. And I, though he says a lot of things that I think came from outer space, I actually think that particular statement kind of has a little notion of support behind it. Certainly at least half the population more or less supported his agenda. He made a statement that I thought was interesting. He said, our problem is the previous administration has ballooned the deficit with tax cuts. That's what President Biden said. The previous administration, putting this back on Trump, has ballooned the deficit with tax cuts. And he's not blaming his own spending. He's not blaming any of his COVID spending or any of the things that were involved in the crisis we've been through. He's saying it's all Trump's fault. Right. Ignoring all the money spent on new, like Green New Deal. All of oh, the, well, there is that. The, right. All of the tax credits towards solar and windmill. So, so I think that this emboldens him. And the more people, the more he says that, the more people begin to believe that. And let's face it, Donald Trump's a pretty easy place right now to hang whatever kind of crap you're wanting to get rid of. Just hang it on Trump and let it go down with him. Uh, that's an easy thing to happen. I won't ask you to speak to that because I know that puts you in a spot. And I know Donald showed up in the last hours of your campaign and decided to endorse you. I'm, I thought that was kind of cheap, frankly. It's like, if you can't get in with me early, just don't play at all. <laughs> well, this is going to embolden Biden. It's going to embolden the progressive wing of the Democrat Party. We're going to have more of the Green New Deal kind of stuff. And the fact that voters didn't punish that kind of thinking means that tax raisers feel free to go ahead and spend and to increase taxes, to raise them, because they think they have a mandate to do so. And frankly, maybe they do. Now, when do you think we'll see the first of those tax rate increases? Well, when the Trump tax cuts expire. And that is in? January 2026. Yep, 2026. Taxes are automatically set to go higher. You know, I had a lady in my office the other day 
I was talking about this topic. Taxes are set to go higher in 2026. She said, you don't know that. You don't know that taxes are going to increase. Well, can I tell you, it caused me a moment because I wanted to express myself in ways that might not have been politically correct because it hacked me off pretty bad. <laughs> and the fact is, the law says already this lady just didn't know what she was talking about. I've never been challenged in quite that direct of a way, telling me I didn't know taxes were going to go higher. Well, I certainly do, ma'am. Tax law has already been passed that says in 2026, tax rates are going to go higher. And with the divided government, today's lower tax rates that we're experiencing right now are not going to be extended. The Congress with the 50-50 division in the House and the Senate yeah. is going to let the law carry forward into 2026. And so what that means is that if you're considering changing the tax status of any of your retirement assets, it's critical that you start now. You don't have time to wait around. We have to make use of the years that are ahead of you, which are 23, 24, and 25. We have three years left to get this done. Because right now, we, we could potentially see taxes go even higher than what they're saying in 26. It only takes a few votes to lean in one direction or the other. Uh, and I don't think we're going to get to see them go lower. So the only solution is to protect yourself from it. Right now, we you know we elect a new Congress every two years. So your guy who had the 10-year solution for balancing the budget. I like that, by the way. I don't know what the solution is, but I can get by that. I'm a planner. That's what we do for people is we plan them out to age 100. So he's got a 10-year solution for balancing the budget. I'm all for that. But it's kind of laughable in this way. Every two years, you have a new Congress. So what's the thought that we could do anything on a 10-year plan? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. So wouldn't it be interesting, though, to be in your role? You're not in leadership, but I expect to see you there one day. Wouldn't it be interesting to be in your role and to somehow develop a mechanism that could appropriately bind the Congress to longer term planning that would be good for the future of the country? It's going to take a heck of a lot more majority in both houses than you have now in order to make something like that happen. But I'd like to see you do it because... This dodge the tax bullet every two years with a different election kind of logic is just insane. Instead, what we have to do is get our assets out of the line of fire, get our assets out of the line of fire. And there are a couple of different ways that we can do that. And Eric, I know that you know about those ways. So it's good to have somebody representing us in Washington who knows something about this. Tell me what are what's at least one of the ways that we could use to get our assets out of the line of fire. I, I would say Everything you can get into a Roth is the way to go. Yeah. Is the first one of the first buckets that is a good tax free bucket. So let's take things that we have in traditional IRA accounts and let's strategically integrate a Roth IRA into our life right. and convert that. And do you know, is there any limit on how much we can convert in a from an IRA to a Roth in a year's time? No, it, you just need to know that you'll be paying taxes when you do that conversion. There may be a psychological limit. <laughs> That's right. Because you can only mentally and emotionally deal with so much in tax. But you can convert as much as you want. People and, argue about this all the time. Say, oh, no, you're not allowed. You can't exceed that limit. It's like, dude, I do this for a living. You absolutely can convert a billion dollars if that's what you had in your eye. Yeah, and the best thing to think about is that if you plan it, you can try to find ways to offset that those taxes mm -hmm. depending on where you are in your where you are in the tax bracket, depending on what are the things that are happening in your life. There's things that may happen 
For example, we had a client at one point, he inherited property. Okay. And it was stepped up at the moment. Mm-hmm. It stepped up basis. So he didn't pay tax on the gain. Well, it just so happened that year he then sold that same property maybe a year later. But when he did, he sold it at a loss to what it was. So he got a tax check written back to him effectively. And that was, and he had not told us that, but that had, would have, he told us that was going to happen. What would you have said? You would have immediately, same thing as I been thinking, let's take advantage of every bit of that loss hmm. so that we can potentially do a Roth conversion. Well, I've got a client who's coming in later this week, who's a business owner here in town, where something north of $10 million and making about a million dollars a year that he's paying taxes on. And he's got about $2 million in IRA type accounts. And he is going to be able to implement some tax strategies that will give him deductions on the business side of things, which will allow him then to convert his $2 million in IRAs over to Roth and do it for no more money than he's paying in taxes now. Now, here's the big kicker. This is where it gets really good. Eventually, he will have to pay tax on those tax strategies that we use for his business. But when he pays that tax, he'll pay that tax at a capital gains rate with a maximum, which is 20%, instead of paying it at ordinary income, which is 37%. So if we can recharacterize the tax that he pays from 37% to 20%, then that's almost... uh, He almost cut his taxes in half. That's exactly right. I'm kind of excited about that strategy alone. By the way, capital gains tax, give, give us your prognostication. What's the future of capital gains tax going to look like and what would you advocate for? I would say, and I'm not... I don't know that it's going to go up or down because you've got a divided Congress. And so I I can't imagine the Republicans allowing that tax to go up um, unless things become absolutely necessary and we end up in a financial crisis. Well, I'd like to see there to be no punishments on investors, Uh, people who are investing capital to make it grow. Let's not punish them. That's what I think. So, Eric, I want to kind of begin wrapping this up by taking you to your imagination just a little bit. Let's imagine that you and I are business partners, and we have been up until you ran off with Congress and suddenly away you went. So imagine we're business partners, and imagine that you own 80% of the business and I own 20% of the business. So every year, whatever profits there are, 20% comes to me, 80% goes to you, and that's the way it works. Then imagine one day I just show up and I say, hey, Eric. I've decided I want 30% of the profits. What are you going to say? Where did you come up with that? Well, I want it. That's where I came up with it. Right. You can want in one hand and do something else in the other. Well, but Eric, that's the way it works with the IRS because the IRS is a silent business partner with your IRA and your 401k account. And right now the IRS says the tax rate is whatever it is. And next year, the IRS can come back with the authority of Congress and say, the tax rate has been changed. And this year, we want this much more. I love this analogy. It's a great analogy. So why would you want a partner who has the ability to come control how much of the partnership they get to own? You see, the government controls the law on how large a share of your profits the IRS gets. 
unless your assets are outside the line of fire through a strategic Roth integration, like we talked about, through the use of a LERP plan. It's like a uh, Roth IRA on steroids that allows you to contribute an unlimited amount to a tax-free account if you chose to do it that way. So those are just a couple of solutions uh, that we might recommend that could be helpful to taxpayers who are going to be pinched by what happened with the most recent election. So Eric, I've got a little gift I want to offer to um, our listeners, and it's simply this. We have got a special report called Five Ways Taxes Can Rise During Retirement. Five Ways Taxes Can Rise During Retirement. People kind of uh, have been lulled to sleep thinking it, it can't happen, but it actually can't. And uh, our sponsor, the Wealth Care Corporation, has uh, this report that they're willing to make available to anyone who listens to our podcast. So if you're interested in that report, all you've got to do is go to savingyoutaxes.com. And there you'll find a place you can click and send us an email and tell us that you want to see the five ways taxes can rise during retirement report. And we'll be sure and send that special report out to you. So uh, Congressman elect Burleson, the next time you come to our studio, you will be Congressman Burleson. Just Eric. And we're looking forward to it. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do, I haven't told you this yet, but uh, sometime in the late spring, we want you to come in and we want all the dirty little secrets about what it's like to join the fraternity of Congress. We want to know <laughs> if they took you in the back and paddled you and made you sit on an ice block or, you know, <laughs> took you out in the middle of the woods and uh, turned you loose without your pants or something stupid like that. So so save up some dirty little secrets for us if you feel safe doing sure, that. So, sure. We would like to know about that. Well, I'm Barry Watts. I'm the host of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, and I'm delighted that you have been with us today. I hope that this has been helpful to help you hear our thinking on what happens with regard to taxes in a divided government and the impact that it's going to have on your personal pocketbook. It's really important, and I don't want you to lose track of it because tax strategy always comes first. No matter what you're doing in retirement planning, no matter how you're investing, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. This podcast is a production of the Wealth Care Corporation found on the web at savingyoutaxes.com. The concepts discussed are for informational and educational purposes only and should not be implemented without first consulting with your own legal, tax, and investment counsel. This has not been an offer to buy, sell, or invest in securities, and this information is to be taken as educational concepts and not as specific advice for you. The lawyers like us to remind you that all investment involves risk and you could lose money. Past performance is never a guarantee of future results. Tax strategy services are provided by American Tax Strategies, LLC. Investment advisory services are provided by Wealthcare Asset Management, LLC. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.